Hello and welcome. My name is Joel Martin, the host of the Morning Bell podcast. Joining me today is Ian Legging, the new addition to the Morning Bell crew, and our guest for today is Tony Jordan. Tony Jordan is the author of four novels. The international bestseller Edition, 2008, was a Richard and Judy book club pick and was long listed for the Miles Franklin Award. Fall Girl, 2010, was published internationally and nine days in 2012 was awarded Best Fiction at the 2012 Indie Awards, and it was shortlisted for the ABIA Best General Fiction Award and was named in Kirkus Review's Top 10 Historical Novels of 2013. Her latest novel is Our Tiny Useless Hearts. Tony has been widely published in newspapers and magazines. On today's podcast, we chat about the idea of iconic characters, what makes them stand out to us. And in the media section, we chat about The Walking Dead, Outlander, and others. Also, on this episode, we had to fight technology a little, so there's a brief interruption. Nevertheless, we hope you enjoy the episode, and if you have any questions, contact me on my email, mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. Today we are at the Brunswick Street Bookstore, and Luke, I mean, oh man, <laughs> Luke's not here. That's really strange, Ian. Yeah. How are you going? I'm good, thanks. I'm really good, Joel. How are you? Good, good. So, Luke's body, you know, where have you buried it? Can look, I visit? Yeah, look, I can't tell you, honestly, uh-huh. but uh, he graciously agreed in his last moments to allow me to come on and uh, fill in. So, here I am. There you go. Uh, how has your week been, Ian? Yeah, it's been pretty good, pretty good. Um, aside from casual murder. So, yeah, aside from casual murder. It's been really good. No, I've been uh, been relaxing, reading a few books, uh, almost catching up on, on a TV show, which I'll get into later on. But uh, yeah, it's been pretty good. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, great to have you. Tony, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joel. It's great to be here. So how has your week been? Um, it's been um, a bit of a busy week to begin mm-hmm. with, but that's great. It's good to have... Um, lots, lots of things on. It's excellent. Gets me out of the house. True. That's right. Preparing for the for the writers' festival. Yeah, well. I've got a few things. There's yeah. a few writers' festivals coming up actually. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Bendigo, um, and then Melbourne after that, and then I'm off to Brisbane after that. So yeah, it's quite a quite a queue. Fantastic. Alrighty. Well, we're just going to jump straight into the news section, and I've got an interesting p- piece of news that probably no one um, ever suspected, and that is. Uh, surprising absolutely no one, Harry Potter and the Cast Child has been a resounding success. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so who surprising. Who who would have thunk it? No one. No one. Um it's not a it's not a novel, by the way, it's a script, which is something that I didn't actually know. I didn't know that either. Yeah, mm. I was I'm completely removed from the from the <laughs> Harry Potter verse. So I, I came in and I was like, Oh, she published a new book. I, I didn't know this and then I found out it was a stage play. So Curious. Um, most bookshops here in Melbourne have sold out completely. Brunswick Street Bookstore sold out Monday. It was Ooh. released Sunday. Mm-hmm. So crazy. Yeah. No. You, d- you didn't sleep over. No. <laughs> it was, I, you know. I thought about it. Yeah. I thought, hmm, never read a Harry Potter book. This could be my entry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right now. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was, uh, it's interesting. I mean, it's incredible to see. I guess it speaks to the power of the brand, the power mm. of uh, the fact that so many people who grew up with uh, Harry Potter over the last 15 years or so are still extremely passionate about it. The fact that a script can get people out. I really feel that if I was to publish a script, people may not be lining up overnight. <laughs> oh, Ian, I just, would. But then, Don't be so modest. Yeah, there you <laughs> Sorry. go. Okay, thanks. Well, I have two people lining up. <laughs> but outside of that, uh, it may not make the bestseller list. It's curious, isn't it? And mm. and this is not me being jealous or anything <laughs> quite the like, but it's definitely just her, isn't it? It's it's mm. the fact that it's J.K. Rowling's book. Oh yeah, uh, rather script. It's Harry. It's ha- it's Harry and his friends. <laughs> yeah, it's the characters that yeah, we love. That's mm. right, and and we'll be talking about those yeah. characters as well. Yeah. Um, in detail. But yes, so that's so that's my piece of news. It is quite interesting. I probably won't read it, but I hope people can tell me what it's like. And <laughs> reviews have been mostly positive is what I've been reading. So there you go. Yeah. Um, Ian, have you got any news for us? Yeah, well, I mean, the only thing that uh, that's happened in, uh, in recent times is the arrival of the Melbourne Writers' Festival tickets being released, which was uh, fantastic. So I was online making, making sure I got booked into a few sessions. Uh, very exciting when, when the uh, tickets get released, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sure people listening, there'll be some people who are going along um, checking out so many great writers, so many great events this year. Have, uh, do you ever get that problem when you book things online where it's the timeout? session timeout so uh what i did i was on twitter as i so often am Mm -hmm. um and i I got some tweets from people saying look the app is working so the the site was down understandably (laughs) uh so i jumped on the app i booked all of my sessions on the app which was i felt very modern doing that fantastic no i I was still navigating add to cart Where's yep. wait? No, that's that's my wish list. No, <laughs> I've got to. Okay, uh, yeah, <laughs> you'll I'm, figure it out. Yeah, I'm such a dinosaur when it comes to these things. Still, um, but I eventually. Uh, but it's, in. A, it, it's an exciting program this year. I can't. Yeah, wait, actually, I'm very definitely. thrilled. I'm actually doing an event with Meg Rossoff. Wow. Whoa. And to me, that is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Well, she's doing an event with Tony Jordan, though. Yeah. Ah, there it is. There it is. Yes, that's, the that's right. She's probably, she probably won't be able to sleep the night before. The so excited. So nervous. Yep. Yep. So how many events have you got at um, the Melbourne I think Rose? I've Anything? got um, four events. Uh-huh. Yeah, so um, it's it's a great program this year. I'm cool. Well, Ian and I should probably get crash some of your... Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Some of your talks. Um, fantastic. And Tony, have you got any news for us? I just wanted to draw your attention or rather remind you that 13th of August is National Bookstore Day. Absolutely. And bookstores, as we are sitting in this glorious example right now, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, are kind of the heart and soul of our reading and writing community. Mm-hmm. And there's there's going to be lots of things happening in mm-hmm. bookstores on, on that day, um, events. Um, there's a giveaway book where a lot of people, including me, are complaining about changes to government policy with respect to parallel importation, which is possibly <laughs> yep. not the most exciting thing. Yes. Um, but you can get the, the book of essays for free and um, mm. your local bookstore owner and staff would love to see you. So come in. Fantastic. It was at this moment, ladies and gentlemen, that just as Bonnie Prince Charlie abandoned his Scottish supporters, technology left the building almost for good. 
but with a little bit of elbow grease and a few prayers, everything worked out. We apologize for the inconvenience and for the missed pieces of content, but we hope the brilliant conversation we have later on, all thanks to Tony, makes up for that. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. So, I've just finished my uh, binge-watching of The Walking Dead, uh, which has been quite interesting over the last month. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tiff and I have been running through all of the series, uh, which has been really interesting to kind of... uh, I always held off watching. Uh, I was a bit kind of like, zombies not really my thing but then as i started watching i realized actually it's it's not about the zombies it's about how the people who survive deal with each other relate with each other how civilization starts over again so actually there's a lot of depth there which surprised me because mm-hmm. i was just expecting a lot of you know scares and, and it does go on for a while doesn't it how is yeah. that um look i'm not a huge fan of the the going on in some ways i mean they said they're, they're doing another five seasons i think which is a lot of content. <laughs> right. um, but in saying that, I mean, it's been interesting to watch characters grow and develop, um, which I'm sure we can get to mention a bit of those later. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been interesting to watch just the way the show has developed and matured. Um, so in that sense, it's, it's good. Um, I don't know if I'd known it was going to go on so long. I'm not so sure I would have committed. But hey, I'm, I'm committed now. So. You're in it for the long haul. Yeah, bring on season seven, you know. <laughs> That's 27 right. exactly and and in the in the shorter format uh did also catch up with um with the new star trek movie which was uh which was good and ran through one robert galbraith book the first one fantastic there you go how about you tony what have you been oh, watching see i have no life and if i knew that this would be a question i would have watched <laughs> Um, but instead I've been reading books. Mm, mm-hmm. So um, the latest book I read is called Maestra mm-hmm. by, I'm going to, is it Heinz? I can't remember. Yep. Um, and that was very interesting. I've had a very fat book year. Mm. I've read the, the Booker Prize winner from last year, the mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, Seven Killings, what was it? The a brief history of seven kids. Oh, yes. uh, yep. Um and I haven't read that and have you been enjoying it? Uh it's it it's very long and mm. extremely intense. Mm. Yeah. One of those books that has to have the full like seven page cast list. It's the, the Ulysses front. moment. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and, and all different voices, all different first person narrations. Wow. Right. So um yeah, it, it's yeah, fun is probably not the exact <laughs> Adjective for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also read City on Fire, which is another really fat book. So it's been my year of the fat books. Yeah, fair enough. Um, For me, I've been, like you, Tony, a little bit light on the content, but uh, I have started... Um, watching Outlander, the uh, the series. Oh yeah, love Outlander. And I hadn't read the books, so I was going in pretty blind. And I absolutely love the setting. It's a it's a setting that I don't think is very much written about. Scotland. Yeah, mm-hmm. Scotland. Scotland. You can. Oldie days. Yeah, they always <laughs> say you can, and I'm like, oh, is that you know? And it's really interesting. Yep. Um, but uh, the the accents are beautiful and wonderful and lovely, and the costumes are gorgeous. Men in skirts. Yeah, mm. skirts. Great. Scotland. Riding horses. <laughs> are we just going to do this for the entire podcast? <laughs> That'd be should. good. <laughs> um, but um, I don't I don't know where I fall fall on the series. I it's interesting to me because I 
expected a and, and th- this is the problem isn't it when you when you get audience expectation hmm. um is that uh, the writer writes something and the audience expects a particular kind of narrative mm-hmm. when it doesn't deliver we often blame the piece of material for not doing what we wanted to do <laughs> um but with this one there was a couple things which pulled me up and and these are things in hindsight looking back i understand why it it wasn't considered the the book is definitely um it or not book, rather the series from where I am, uh, definitely seems to revolve around uh, relationships, uh, specifically the main character's relationship with two other characters. And yep, it's Claire and Jamie, her new old slash and new, the new old husband. Yeah, a boring husband. husband whose name I don't remember because... From Scotland. Who's, we're not, I'm not interested in the yeah. husband, I'm only interested in Jamie, really. Yeah. And then Frank. From oh, Frank, that's right. That's present day. Yes, um, and, uh, the, the, the curious thing is that I almost prefer her relationship with Frank, no. because <laughs> even though I do like oh, the redheaded scoot, but, but, <laughs> but it's, I find, I find the relationship with Jamie interesting. I'm mm-hmm. not sure why. Really not buying into it? I'm not buying Ooh. into how quickly it just sort of happens. Right. Uh, right. with with Jamie because um, and there's a little bit of setup and and by the way we are spoiling a lot here so in, <laughs> in, in case you in case you if you don't want to listen yeah, then you can please ignore the preceding comments yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ignore everything that just happened um, but it, I almost didn't feel as if and, and I'm I'm saying things very nebulously almost and I need to be specific here right. so. We have her relationship with Frank, which is set up yes. quite um, yep. uh, succinctly, yep. is that it is a very strong relationship. However, they have been going through a little bit of turmoil because they've been apart from so long and they have changed as people. Yes. However, I find that going into the past and having zero shell shock with the idea that you are <laughs> now in the past, right. she acclimatizes quite quickly um, and... Uh, is forced into a marriage for her own safety, so it isn't something you know that just she wants, um, and then grows to love Jamie. Now I like that. I think it's great. I think it's romantic. I love Jamie very much. <laughs> I think he's a very handsome and redheaded scut. But um, and I love him as a character. I think he's great. I think uh, I I it's a joy whenever he's on screen. I also the thing that I also like about it is so many of these historical novels have the um, very powerful manly mm. kind of man guy, mm. and then the young innocent yeah, yeah. sort of woman thing. And in fact, sort of she's switched. yeah, she's older than him. She knows mm. what's what. Yeah, um, he's I think famously a virgin yeah. in the book, <laughs> and um, she's like in charge. I kind of yeah, like, like he's kind of saving her life and, and yeah, drawing yeah, his yeah. sword when necessary. But uh, There's a lot of saving that goes on from both is, sides. There is. But um, I quite like that power shift. It is great. However, <laughs> <laughs> however, here I am coming in with the misery hammer. Um, I, I think, I think either there should have been, uh, there's a scene uh, near the end of the season where she has a choice to go back to Frank or stay 
uh, with Jamie. Sorry, Ian. Oh, well, I can handle it. You're never going to watch this show now. Ah. <laughs> and De- dentistry you- alone would send me back to Frank, in all honesty. Just oh, modern agree. dentistry. Just hygiene, yep. showers. I would be... Even Frank, he's a little bit of a weasel face, yes, but I would be back How with could you say that, Tony? <laughs> it offends me. <laughs> um, and and the, the shift between her staying in the past, I just, I don't know. I feel like it didn't, the show didn't Not earn it for you. me. Yeah, right. Didn't sell me on that. I thought it was great to service the story. Yes. But I don't think, because honestly, I... I wouldn't really watch the show if she went back yeah. to the present. Yeah. And obviously yeah. the past is a lot more exciting and interesting, so I understand yeah. why it has to happen on a plot reason. I just don't think that it was earned emotionally. Also, uh, to, to get this out of the way so people know I have complete bias when it comes to Frank's character, <laughs> absolutely adore um, uh, Tobias Menzies. Right. I think he's a fantastic actor, and yes. uh, I think... And he plays two characters. Yeah, but that's the thing. He plays also the psychotic. He plays the psychotic um, rapist ancestor. character. Yeah. So I think that's why she doesn't go back. Yeah. She can never see him again without unseeing mm. that face. And there's a and that that is something I want to see. And it hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen any turmoil with that because right. it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, right, right. Um I want to see that because that's where the juicy bit comes yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Um and and also there's a there's a scene that happens with Jamie and uh, with um, Black Jack Randall. Uh, I won't spoil it because this is a very pivotal moment in yes. in, in the series. <laughs> I thought oh. it was done so well yes. to show such a horrific thing yep. and yep. show it and see the turmoil and anguish that this this male character goes through. Yes, and yep. I thought. Full marks. I thought it was the best episode yep. of the show. Very powerful. And again, yeah. those those kind of traditional gender tropes yeah. reversed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and really not being afraid to show the complexity of the of Jamie's emotional response. Yes, that's um, right. It yeah. wasn't just like I'm angry. Yeah, there was more. Going <laughs> there was on. a lot more going yeah. on. Yep. And uh, and yeah, it, it was horrific in one sense, but it was also I think the most emotionally resonant episode in in, in the And series. brave. Brave to put it Very there. brave. Yep. And it, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be brave in, in one sense. Yep. We should be talking about these things a lot yeah. more. But um, fantastic. Uh, my feelings on the entire series, however, are mixed. And I, I don't know whether I'll continue. But but we'll see. We will see. Um, so moving on from, from the media section... Uh, we are going to the topic. Now, for the audience's benefit, there may be some technical difficulties we've been having to wrangle up with technology as uh, as we often have, but today has been an exceptional amount of them. So in case you see any cuts or breaks, it's just we're, we're dealing with certain issues. But hopefully we can get through this without any more. That's the hope. Um, the topic for today's podcast is the idea of iconic characters. We talked about Black Jack Randall. We talked about Frank and Jamie. And those are perfect examples of characters that stick within your mind. Uh, the molasses that makes up good storytelling mm-hmm. is made up often by very strong characters. From Shakespeare uh, to Chekhov to Tolkien. Um, and further on, even till modern day, we talked about Harry Potter. And the amount of resonance that Harry has um, in today's world is insane, is crazy. And 
often uh, storytelling, um, we look at structure, we look at how a story flows, mm-hmm. and we, we praise the story on those merits. But often, if you see in reviews, we'll end up talking about characters. We'll talk about how good we thought a character was, how poor we thought a character was. And I mentioned motivations. That's, that comes into play when it comes to defining characters. So we're going to be talking about that today and talking about it as writers and readers and try and work it out. What what makes us, you know, what's our matrix for enjoying a good character? So let's start with you, Ian. Do you have an example off the top of your head that you can point to and why? Yeah, well, I'll give a little context to my thinking <clears throat> about this topic. Uh, I was thinking about uh, having watched uh, The Walking Dead over the last uh, month and thinking about the introduction of characters there. You can often pick <clears throat> when a character is going to stick around from how they look which is something in a book that you don't quite get the same advantage Mm -hmm. of. Yeah, you can paint beautiful pictures in people's minds, but sometimes when you're watching a show that's long and ongoing and someone walks on, they've got a shock of red hair, a handlebar red moustache, and they've got a real strong accent to them. You think, this guy is going to be around for a few series. Yeah. Um, And I was thinking about how the... uh, the, the difference that you have in, in literature where you're trying to actually paint a picture of a character, it's a lot more rounded than, than, than what you can actually easily achieve with an iconic character in, uh, in a visual medium. Mm. For example, let's think about Darth Maul. There is an iconic character from Star Wars who was on screen for eight minutes, I think it was, and had like five lines. So I got, I got to thinking about that and, uh, and the potential difficulties. So I guess that's where I'd like to, to kick things off, is thinking about the fact that uh, coming at it in terms of writing, you really have to think uh, a bit deeper, and it's not, those, it's not the look of a character that necessarily draws us to them. Sure, we have those pictures in our mind, but it comes down to, to what the themes are that run through and how believable and consistent that character is, I think, mm-hmm. as a starting point. And it's... It's interesting you mention a character like Darth Maul. On appearance-wise, he's iconic and he's mm. recognizable. And people often talk about him more than they talk about the movies. Yeah. Uh, they hold the movies in quite a bit of disregard, but they hold his character up as being something iconic. And do you think that just has to do with the appearance? He hardly says a word in that. Do you think it's just because everyone else in the movie was so bland that he kind of <laughs> well, sticks out? can I just take mm. you back to something that you just said a minute ago, Ian, which was... Mm consistent yeah Mm. and i would like to actually say that i think that that's the opposite of what makes an iconic character i think it's inconsistency and it's it's the fact that they do something on one occasion but you can see you know darth maul you can sort of see Mm. something else there yeah it's Mm. the the things that don't quite add up in my mind that might make something the the complexities come out of inconsistency yeah i do interesting That's an interesting way to look at it. Um, sort of uh, an example going off that, I suppose, would be to talk about um, the Game of Thrones uh, series. Characters do things that we might consider to be inconsistent with their character. Yeah. Ned Stark, a honorable man, lies. Yes, um, yeah. You have bad people doing good things and vice mm. versa. So that's a, that is a very good I example. I reckon. That's my, <laughs> that's my theory of the evening. Yeah. There you go. That's uh, that's interesting, and and it is something that I've found as I've uh, as I've grown up. When I was a kid growing up, uh, so many of these stories that I read were all about um, that kind of traditional trope of the the hero coming in mm-hmm. and doing all the good things. And um, I was I was playing a video game recently, just briefly, where there was a hero charging around, uh, saving all of the the peasants in distress. And I had to stop. It actually bothered me to the point where I was like, I cannot play this because. 
I just don't believe that yeah. anymore. Yeah. I used to believe. And so I actually, I totally take your point on inconsistency. Mm. And, I, and I do think back to, uh, to the fact that good people do bad things. And sometimes people do unexplainable things, things that you say, well, why did you do that? And say, well, I got caught up in the moment yeah, or something. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I think those unexplainable moments are actually really important. Mm. And in, uh, you know, I read a lot of work of emerging writers and sometimes you can feel them wanting to rush into that space and explain it. Like, Mm, mm. you know, a whole, you know, 3,000 word flashback about why they're afraid of cats because a cat (laughs) jumped on their head when they were two or something. (laughs) But it's just sometimes better to let those things sit and have, as you say, the reader thinking, I wonder why they did that. And that keeps people turning the pages. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And there's a, there's a maturity to that as well. Like there's a maturity to uh, to life that comes out as you as you get. I think when you're young, you tend to have more of an idealistic view of the world, mm-hmm. and as you grow, you, you kind of get more of a sense of yourself. And and sometimes we do things that we don't like as people, and we think, gosh, sure. you know, that doesn't feel consistent. You no, know, I'm getting really deep here. Whoa. Where did that <laughs> Whoa, come from? Well, we're moving dropping the philosophy bombs on us. That's for the psychology down. podcast. <laughs> but um, but you know, you, you see that in people that you know as well. Yes. Where, where good That's people do true. do bad things, and people. Uh, are not as simple as just yeah. it's not all Darth Vader, but even in Darth Vader, to get us to something, but you have to. You have yeah. to have that side. You have to have that moment where he takes off his mask and you go, "Oh, actually, you're just an old, old kind man. of scarred yeah. guy." Yep. And and there is a, a pity response there, yep. an empathy response. Yes. So what you're really looking for, isn't it, is is some kind of empathy response at some level, mm-hmm. at some point of that character's journey, and how. That interaction with the reader, when when empathy is happening, then then the reader is sort of leaning toward that book and falling into the characters in that book, and that's I think the moment that you're always after. Mm. So, what do you think uh, is your pick for an iconic character that comes um, to mind? To me, it's um, um, uh, what is his name? <laughs> Jeez, that's good. It's just falling out of my head. Um, from Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal Lecter. Ah. Hannibal Lecter, I think, is a fantastic character. Yep. Um, because um, he, there's a few things that I really think are important. For a start, I feel that people think that point of view characters are always the ones that you remember, the iconic ones, mm-hmm. and he is not. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not even really the protagonist of, of the first Silence of the Lambs. Um, so yet he's the one you remember. Mm. So, and it's the same, you know, with the Harry Potter series, like your close third person, Harry, pretty much through the whole thing, Mm. but you certainly feel for, you know, Hermione and, and, um, you know, Ron and everybody else. It's Mm. not related to where the, the point of view of the story is. Mm. Um, Hannibal is to me so remarkable because he gets away with doing really terrible things in the Mm. book. Um, and and part of that is the way the book is written. There's a real skill to that yep. because um, when when the book in the book when he appears, um, the whole thing just pops, mm-hmm. right. and it pops um, because it becomes present tense mm. in just those yeah. little segments. Um, but th- but that's just one small thing. The character himself is fantastic, um, and the, he, there's also something interesting in that book, which is. He's not the worst person in the story. Yes. Which and is that, really crucial. And that makes you almost root for him exactly. at points, which makes exactly. you feel like a bad person because well, you're like, I'm rooting for an awful person. But it's about mm. comparison. Yeah. So right. it's not that somebody has to, as you, yep. as kind of Ian was saying before, it's not about absolute good. Yeah. It's about, mm. is he better than this serial killer or <laughs> is he better than this horrible guy running the... 
psychiatric hospital. Mm, yeah. Yeah, he is. So then we're all, so the empathy of the reader then flows toward him. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And also his relationship uh with Starling and that, that Yeah. That, oh, it's yeah. It, I think that relationship to me is the thing that sticks in my mind as being mm. just a brilliant masterstroke because you have this character who's waging a psychological game with her. Yep. Mm. At the same time there is a sense that you get that he cares for her yep. in yep. a very odd way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, I think that's that's the moment where, you know, Hannibal Lecter is, is the memorable character yeah, absolutely. In, in that story. It's a masterstroke. It's that, that character is just, on one level, it breaks all the rules of what yeah. a character should be, but mm. in in such glorious way that, that we're still talking about him all these decades later. I know, yeah. it's fantastic. Um, I would say that, the character that, even though I don't consider him the most iconic, I I would say he's a character that sticks out at me within a genre that pretty much died. And that would be the sword and sorcery genre. Mm-hmm. It was a genre that had its heyday a very long time ago mm-hmm. and has pretty much fallen to the wayside uh, compared to uh, epic fantasy and within that broader um, genre fiction. Uh, but there was a character from a fairly little-known author, and his name was Carl Edward uh, Wagner, and well, Wagner, depending on how you say it. Um, and he created a character called Cain, and uh, Cain the Mystic Swordsman. Um, he was uh, Abel's brother in the mythology, yep. and he uh, was cursed to roam the mm-hmm. earth. And th- th- it was this alternate uh, fantasy world. But, and even though there was a lot of you know, full-on crazy stuff going on in the stories, there was a grounding that happened with that character. Hmm. Uh, You had an empathy for a character who's a murderer. So how Um, long has it been since you read this series? (sighs) A couple of months. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, the the reason it pops into my mind and why I'm bringing it is there was a uh, a fantastic um, edition of these books because they've mostly fallen out of print, yeah. uh, and by Centipede Press, and they released a collection of of the Kane stories, and, and I, you know, straight up picked right. it up, because that was a blast from the past for me, hmm. um, but, it, you know, it, it's a character that even though, and, and, the, and the interesting thing, you saw in sorcery is quite, you know, when you read them, they're quite dated, they feel that way. Mm. These stories don't feel that, there's a sense of... Um, empathy you have we were talking about feeling Mm -hmm. good for a character Mm -hmm. who's got a lot of bad to him and that's the same as him he's a man who's trying to make his way in a world that is harsh and unyielding well overcoming overcoming obstacles that's a really attractive thing that's right and you and you root for that right and even though the obstacles could be good people (laughs) and the obstacles could be things that you could argue uh worth having is mm. overcoming these things. Well, Hilary Mantel did that really well in Wolf Hall mm-hmm. and the yes. subsequent books because everybody knows the outcome of that story, what <laughs> happens to Henry VIII and his wives. Yep. And, and you know, t- Thomas More, was, isn't it, um, mm. yep. is considered, you know, in most rational circles quite a villain in English yeah. history. Mm-hmm. And she manages to make him the person that you're, you're on their side for the yep. whole way. It's extraordinary. Yeah, mm. with a fantastic element of, you know, historical moulding and the yeah. right way you portray them through uh, point of view and stuff like that. And also, I, I think a lot of that also comes back to the way we see him the first. In the beginning of Wolf Hall, he's a small child having the shit beaten out of him by his mm. father. And so you kind of immediately take the Empathy. side 
part of this yep. small boy. Yeah, yeah. And you see things through his eyes. And when he does these outrageous things, like, you know, his boss, um, Cardinal, what's his name? Gets, <laughs> Wolseley. Wolseley, thank you, gets, mm-hmm. gets the axe. And in two seconds he's sucking up to the guy who killed him and mm. like you just he does you just you're buying in the whole yeah. thing and it's his empathetic relationship with others as well mm. which is really curious and thinking about um empathy as well uh since since my last time on the podcast i've been thinking a lot about how uh, opinion so the internet is full of opinion right and opinion in many ways is the of course lowest not, Ian, there's just one law <laughs> in my opinion anyway the internet is full of opinions um but uh that irony aside uh mm. the the uh opinion is kind of the lowest form of human connection you just throw an opinion out there about someone. Now, the highest form of human connection in some ways, going back to my psychology high horse, pop psychology, <laughs> um, is, is empathy. That's a huge form of connection. Now, f- to feel empathy for a villain, mm-hmm. now there's something there's something special there. And I was just um, sitting here thinking about the, the inconsistencies and things and thinking about uh, villains that I relate to. One villain that you don't really, like, he kind of is iconic, but not really. Think about Sauron from Lord of the Rings. Sure. I was like, going to mention yeah, that, d- yeah. Who cares? I'm sorry. I just got to put it out there. Yeah. Really, Sauron, like he's not really who you think about a lot. No. Who cares is a bit is a bit flippant to say, but um, really, he is that that kind of epitome of evil there. Sure. Um, and really, it's hard to feel any empathy for the guy who wants to destroy the world with a horde of orcs, you know. Yeah, yeah. But then you think about some of the nuanced characters that come out in in some of the. Some of the high fantasy, for example, so I'll, I'll go back to J- uh, George R. R. Martin, and you mentioned, I think, Jamie Lannister before, maybe. If not, it was in my head. Um, I no, mentioned, Jamie from Outlander. Uh, there That's we go. Where you drew Another the Jamie. So Jamie Lannister is fascinating in the books because he starts out as yeah. someone who's not great. Fantastic He's doing arc. bad things. And then, you know, he has this terrible accident and he loses his identity mm. and he's kind of building himself up again. Now, they really made a hash of it in the shows with some yes. of the way that uh, he treats his sister, um, which wasn't consistent with his character. But you actually, you go from the point, especially once it moves into his point of view, you go to the point where you're really on this guy's side. Yeah. I mean, it's something George R. R. Martin does really well because really in that world, everything is so topsy-turvy. Malleable. It's just, mm. Yeah, it's, it's degrees of how far people mm-hmm. will go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Jamie is a great example of, of someone who, starts out as a bad guy but you just see a transformation in him that's not consistent with that um and yeah he becomes quite relatable i think you brought up sauron and i want to talk about Mm. that um i'm not going to make the excuse of uh uh oh but he had such a nuanced origin story no i'm not i'm not going to do that let's face it he is a he is absolute evil that's why he's there in the story Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because within tolkien he's using a very mythic structure he's going back to the myths that make uh up humankind and he's trying to expound that and create this faceless entity that you know that we we fear but have no other connection to Mm -hmm. and and it's interesting because that that can produce iconic characters from the other side uh, you can produce iconic characters from something like Frodo. And he's a character that even though um, he has very little to do with the story, if, if that makes sense, he's just, he's the he's the MacGuffin, basically. If the villain gets oh, him, it's... I don't know. It's it's if the MacGuffin gets Frodo, that's the end. Mm-hmm. And we, we start out that way and we see Frodo as that character... But then we eventually see who Frodo is and why can't why can't he be tempted by the evil mm. side? And as you get on, you see a nuance that he can be, and there's that sense that he's he's going over to that side. So there we have a, a motivation conflict. What do you think, Tony? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think Frodo is a great character. Oh, I completely um, agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean great in terms of of, of complexity. I mm-hmm. think he's um I think so much of the plot relies upon 
his goodness, if you like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the pure good yeah, versus the pure evil. Yeah, and that's why that story works because of the balance yes. of those things. And mm. all the plotting really comes back to his the compassion that he has mm. and all the the times that he, he has an option to get out of it. Mm. Yeah. So every single time someone says, you know, I'll take it off you yeah. from what is his name? Like, um, yeah, like Sean Bean from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. And then all the way through, like even Kate Blanchett says, I'll look after it for yeah, you. Yeah. And oh, he yeah. has to go, no, 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 no. Mm. And every time he goes, no, it kind of requires a further commitment even on the part of the reader mm. to go, okay, so That's we're in point. this. It's a re yeah. it's a recommitting to that story. And mm. the the way that the ending is plotted, where um, mm. you know, this has been out for like seven yeah. years, so I think I can safely <laughs> say um, <laughs> Spoilers. Um, Yes, um Gollum kind of jumps out and mm. bites his finger yeah, off. Yeah. Um that's also because of his compassion. Mm. I mean, I think yeah. people really misunderstand that ending and how that works with the whole yep. story. Mm. Because, um, you know, you hear people complaining that it's a um, DS ex machina ending. Yeah. Mm. But it's so not because Gollum would not have been alive if it wasn't for the compassion of Frodo. It's mm. It plays really back into one. the whole yep. ending. It's good. Um, it's also interesting to see <laughs> motivations. That yep. The character, you know, mm. of Frodo is motivated by the desire to do great good uh, for the world. What do you think about motivations? What do you think uh, w- draws you uh, to a character's, you know, what, what motivation does a character need, Ian? Well, I think for me, um, un- under- it's, it's the emp- I think it comes back to empathy, understanding their motivation. Now, I might not love that motivation, but understanding it. If I was to move away from, from literature for a minute and think about, uh, uh, you know, there was a phase where so many anti-villains were in TV series. And think about Boardwalk Empire. Um, that had it was just filled with gangsters and and people sopranos. like Sopranos. Yeah, Sopranos, mm. absolutely. Um, but once you understand why, I think understanding why someone has a motivation, you kind of you you can you can root for them more. You can understand it more. And sometimes it is that degrees of evil. I think if we're talking yeah. about the the Hannibal Lecter side, that can get mm-hmm. you rooting for them. But yeah, understanding that motivation, I think, is important. Um, and also, I, I mean, I keep coming back to your inconsistencies point because I think it's it's brilliant. Um, it, it's you, seeing how those uh, inconsistencies play out against the motivation and the mm-hmm. battles they have, mm-hmm. that can also draw you more to them. Yep. Tony? Um, I think inner conflict. Mm. I think it, it, it's the relationship of the inner conflict. The motivation is kind of what drives the plot, right? Yeah. So mm. so somebody has to – they want something really bad, the yep. thing. They Character want this thing. Character needs to want the thing. Yeah. And then there are obstacles in the way between them and the thing, yeah. right? Mm. But the thing that they want and how that plays out in their life is related mm. to whatever internal wound that yeah. they carry. Mm. So Frodo is like, you know, three foot nothing – Therefore, his job has to be to climb the biggest mountain in the yes, world. Yes, that's yep. right. You know, yep. It's yep. got to have this relationship between the thing that they want or the thing that they have to do mm. and and the thing that is them intrinsically. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, I always actually um, frown. Dis- this is my, like, frowny, disapproving face. <laughs> um, I see that. <laughs> <laughs> when people talk about, you know, character-driven novels versus plot-driven yeah. novels, mm, when, when yeah. really the thing that matters is the relationship, relationship. between them. Yep. Yep. What is the thing about that character? Where is their internal scar, wound, mm. bleeding heart yeah. that then speaks to what they have to do and how is that? how does that relationship negotiate itself? Mm. I think it, when it comes to motivation, it's a very interesting thing. A lot of novels take the approach. There's, there's novels that straddle the line between internal motivation and external motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some that go all external, all internal. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of, uh, going back to, to my example of sword and sorcery, it's, it's always an external struggle, usually. 
nobody really cares if Conan really changes as a person. It doesn't really matter. Um, but, but when you have, for me, I think it's the internal struggle that's the most important thing. It's the thing that makes me care the most. Mm-hmm. And it's not care about the character in some uh, cuddly fashion. It's the mm-hmm. idea that you care about the way their emotions go from sure. one end yeah. to the other end. And it's yeah. whether that is an interesting, entertaining ride. Mm-hmm. You look at Macbeth, you can see how he changes as a character. Yep. He's got an arc. Yeah, and and yeah. Yeah, that foundational story is so interesting and important. And it's those internal things that make me really interested. You mentioned at the start, um, we're talking about Outlander. What happens when Claire sees Frank and all she can see is uh, Jack? That that is what I'm yeah. interested in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I really want to see that. Yeah, so that's the moment. It's, it's, it's those moments. Now, we could go on. We could keep talking about character till the, till the cows come home. <laughs> and uh, I would really love to, but we all need to sleep eventually. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you very much, both of you, for joining me on this ramble about characters. It was a pleasure. It's it was a pleasure, Joel. Thank Fantastic. You. Um, Tony, where can people find you? Uh, um, what have you got coming up? The Bendigo Writers Festival is coming up. That's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. The Melbourne Writers Festival is going to be a bonanza of writers. Mm. Come along. There will be some somebody talking about something for everyone. Um, and then after that, I'm off to Brisbane um, for the Brisbane Writers Festival up there in the beautiful sunshine. So Fantastic. Ian, where can people find you? What have you got coming out? Yeah, so um, I'm working on my next novella at the moment. Uh, more about that will be coming soon. Uh, but the easiest way to find me is just to either search IH Laking or find me at IH Laking on Twitter. Uh, tweet at me, I tweet back, I say hi, I'm friendly. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. A friendly man. Uh, I'll send you a gif. Well, yeah. There you go. That's I'll okay. see, uh, we'll see if anyone picks this up. Ask me for a gif. I will send you a gif. <laughs> wow. There we go. Don't promise you things like this on the yeah. internet. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, white well, audience, careful. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. This has been a great episode, and I've enjoyed myself immensely. Uh, the Brunswick Street Bookstore. Uh, make sure to check that out on the National Book Day. I would love to see you out. Check out your bookshop. Bookshop day, you got to do it. You got to come down here. Um, you can find uh, The Morning Bell, themorningbell.com.au. They are open for submissions. Uh, you've got a lot of podcast archives. Or in case you want to hear more conversations like this, then you can check it out there. For myself, you can find me at thepenofjoel.com or at thepenofjoel on Twitter, where I talk about actually nothing much because I haven't tweeted in a very long time. <laughs> I need to get tips from Ian when it Ian comes to tweeting. Ian is very good. You're very good at it. Well, I'm on it for a while. Yeah, yeah. You just, you just see my feed and it's just like, Ian, Ian, maybe somebody else, and then Ian again. But uh, I need to take some, some Twitter lessons from him. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you on the next podcast.